All right, so <laughs> we're here at Renegade Brewing, and I'm with Keith Decker and Laura Decker. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about your role here at Renegade. Yeah, so really Laura and I were the first two employees, so uh, we are husband and wife. We actually met through the brewery a while back, but you know, we, after dating for a few years, we got married. But uh, yeah, so I do sales at Renegade, so basically, you know, I started out in the beginning in the tap room, did a little bit of sales, worn a lot of hats through the growth, but at this point, you know, the company's grown to where we don't get a little more specialized. Uh, I've grown into a sales role, so I just basically do all, everything that happens outside of the brewery is where I'm at, and uh, everything that happens inside the brewery is where Laura's at now. Yeah, I, I started in the company working in the tap room and just kind of took on more responsibilities as it grew. Um, at this point, uh, I've, about six months, I've been acting as the VP of operations, and so I manage the daily and weekly schedule of the brewery and also help uh, help support the tap room. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about when we when you guys started at the tap house to how you got here, because this facility is huge, and I don't know if a lot of people know that you guys have two locations. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we've been in this facility for about a year now. Uh, we started brewing in here officially, what was that, back in January maybe? I think first brew was December. Cool. But yeah, you know, so it's been through a lot of hard work is a good answer. You know, we yeah. I got into the industry, I really didn't know anything about beer. And I kind of fell in love with the craft beer culture, started out with Brian at the tap room, started on a small scale, and I've just been a sponge for the last four years learning everything I can. Uh, yeah, you know, and I really, my interest is in sales in the beginning. I like, you know, the nice thing about this, about Brewing is it's great camaraderie in the industry. I mean, it's really fun going outside of this place and working with other breweries, working at festivals, getting to know different people. And it's just a great culture of people to work with. Talk a little bit about your production, what size, um, what level you guys um, brew at, and yeah. your fermenters. Absolutely. Like so right now we're in, we just finished phase one of a three-phase expansion, and we're starting phase two in a couple months. So... The facility that we're in right now, well, our original tap room is 3,000 square feet. Uh, 1,000 of that is the actual tap room itself. About 500 square feet is our cooler, and that 1,500 square feet was our original brewing space. It was really small. How large was that original brewing space? What were the fermenters in there? Uh, we had a 15-barrel system, three 15-barrel fermenters, two 30s, a 30-barrel bright tank, and a 45. Yeah, all packed in 3,000 square feet with our tap. I don't know how we did it. It was awful. Our offices were like lofted on top of the cooler in the bathrooms, and we climbed ladders to get up there. Nice. Oh, those are, I'm glad those days are in the past. And towards Uh, the end, we had a canning line in there as well. So once we were canning, it was literally every square foot of that brewery was taken up. It was just. Do you guys still use that facility over there to brew? We do. So being done with phase one means that we moved into the 7,500 square foot facility. We'll eventually have 15,000 square feet, so we're in half of our space that we'll take eventually. Uh, So right now, our 15-barrel brew system still lives and works at 9th Avenue. Uh, We're building a new brew system here, a 30-barrel three-vessel system that'll be installed, or it'll it'll arrive in about a month. Uh, It'll be installed over the course of the next month or so, along with uh, a milling room and a silo and all that stuff. Um, But right now, because our system is better uh, left at, at 9th Avenue. It costs a lot of money to move through systems. Yep. Uh, so we decided to keep it there. And in the, for the past year, we've been toting work from 9th Avenue to 1st Avenue to knock out into our 60-barrel fermenters. Um, and so we'll do two brews a day on the 15-barrel system. So 30 barrels. Uh, it takes two people a full shift to do that. So right now it takes 16 hours to do 
30 barrels of beer. Once we install our new system, it'll take eight hours to brew 60 barrels of beer. Um, so along with that new brew system, we'll have another fermenter. Right now we have three 60 barrels and two 30s. Uh, so we'll be up to four 60s and two 30s by the end of the year. So I'm just seeing stacks of cans behind you. How much, what are you guys doing? How much are you canning every month? You know, mm, canning, good question. yeah, we're, we're certainly a pretty large canning company. I mean, as you grow as a brewery, you're typically your sales are going to shift towards off-premise. And that's yep. really where you make more money. So really the majority of our revenue at this point is generated through our can sales. I mean, draft is also a part of that. That's a very important piece of it. But that's really, you know, helping you get people to try your product, get recognized to it. And, you know, most people are going to buy your beer at the liquor store. And yeah, you look at, that is one interesting thing, you know, you look at once you get into a canning operation, and you know, at this point we have five full-time beers plus a seasonal mm-hmm. and a mixed pack we're doing, and that takes a lot of cans to yep. store to do that, because each, you know, your minimum orders on cans are very large, so that's one thing I don't think people will realize when they're looking at a brewery, once you go into canning and you start adding more SKUs, you need an enormous amount of space just to store those empty cans. Yeah, the, it used to be you could split a trailer of 25 pallets you can fit in there, you would split it between two brands, but now they have actually increased the minimum orders so that you have to get 25 pallets of one single brand, which is a lot of cans. And so really, storage is a huge issue. When we get the other 7,500 square feet, it's almost going to be entirely storage for cans and kegs. Wow. Yeah. That that would be massive. So you guys are distributing around Colorado to different liquor stores and such. Where else are you distributing? Are you out of state? Yeah, so we're in we're in Kansas, Nebraska currently. We've been in those markets for about a year now, and then uh, we're going to be opening up Wisconsin soon, and then we're going to open up Arizona as well. And you guys keg then, obviously, and you get out into restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, where is your prime location for those? Are you guys all over? Are you guys kind of focus on the Denver metro, or you know, being a being a Denver-based brewery, I mean, Denver metro, Denver Boulder metro is really our strongest territory. I mean, you know, in this industry. People really do want to support local, and the closer your tap room is to where you're selling your beer, the, the happier people are going to be to see your beer. Absolutely. So what beer is your most popular? Redacted Rye IPA. Yeah. Really? Definitely our number one seller, yeah. So is that your is that your best in sales as far as cans go as well? Yep, cans and draft. That's our number one beer. Very cool. What styles of beer are you guys kind of famous for? You know, one... Yeah, we, we're, we're famous for doing things a little bit off-style. Uh, but very thoughtfully done. So I think uh, I think our pale ale is a great example. Concilium, the word itself means wisdom, judgment, or counsel, and I think that that's a great explanation for the beer. So it's it's a pale ale, and it drinks like a pale ale. If you want a pale ale, this is going to satisfy your need. Uh, but more than that, it's a very complicated beer. It's our most complicated recipe. We use oats to give it a bigger mouthfeel, more of that English-style pale ale. Uh, we use a little bit of lactose to increase a little bit of that sugar content and to, to boost that mouthfeel as well. Um, blend of English and American hops so that you get that earthiness that you're used to in an English pale ale, mm-hmm. but a little bit of citrus on the end from uh, that American citrus hop, and we also add a little bit of orange peel in there. So really, it's a, it's a complicated beer, and it doesn't fit into any particular style, uh, I mean, it does. It's a pale ale. If you want it, that that's what it's going to be. Um, but once you look a little more into it, you see that it's 
it's not a common pale. And I think, I think the important thing, I mean, it's a great example of what we have to do with our beer styles. But the important thing there is that pale ale is made to meet a demand in the market. Sure. You know, people people do want those full body, lower alcohol beers now. Absolutely. Nice hop character tone. Mm-hmm. And we the way we went about that is we didn't want to jump on that trend and, you know, call it a session IPA, do the same thing everybody else is doing. We wanted, and we also didn't want to use gimmicky adjuncts. You know, there's a lot of interesting things that pale ale you don't typically see in a pale ale, mm-hmm. but we essentially took what we learned from other styles that we've made and applied it to that pale ale. So that's, Really, with our development of beers, that's what we're all about. We don't want to rely on gimmicky things. We want to learn from styles and then use what we learn to push style guidelines further. And I think that's what American craft beer is all about. Sure. Which yeah. kind of caters to my next question I'm going to ask is the scientific method versus kind of the trial and error method. I mean, you guys are very dialed into your recipes. You have to be canning at this, you know, this productive level. But do you guys tweak recipes at all? Do you guys have those recipes change over time? Yeah, a, a good example of that is uh, hiatus is our cold coffee-infused oatmeal ale. Um, it's, it's a beer that was built for the coffee that we're using. It's more of like a, an iced coffee beer. You don't get the bitterness. You get a nice malt character to it. That recipe changed a lot as we were you know, nailing it down. So it started as a small batch that we brewed for our anniversary party. Uh, we really liked it. We tweaked some things. At that point, it had lactose in it, uh, and, and we used some different coffee. We tweaked our coffee infusion method, and once we were finally happy with that product, then we were starting to, you know, like, at that point, that's a recipe that we're not changing anymore. That's when we put it in cans. That's when we send it out to the market. Uh, so there's a lot of science behind it, you know. It's really looking at ingredients and how they're... You know, like for instance, in that the coffee, if you boil it, it's going to become bitter and it's going to change in flavor over time. Um, with a cold infusion, you're getting a better flavor. We actually cold infuse into um, into the beer itself, and so you're not diluting it at all. You know, there's a lot of science behind it, but it's definitely a a creative process to get there. Sure. Do you guys recall a time when you guys have created a, a batch of beer and literally just came out so bad you had to throw it or came out totally different than what you wanted to go after and called it something completely different? Uh, we, we've had some instances where we've had to dump batches. A lot of times it'll be more of a, a machinery malfunction, sure. like the glycol will shut off because there's a power surge during the night and that happens on the weekend and then you get back in and all of your beer that's really sensitive to temperature has all these off flavors because it got too warm during fermentation. Yeah, Yeah, usually if something doesn't turn out, it's like Laura's saying, it's usually a equipment malfunction, usually glycol's out or something like that. We've certainly brewed beers where we just had no idea what it was going to be like. Like I think a great example is... uh, we made a beer, we made a wheat wine with what's called cascara, I believe, yeah. which is the, the, the cherry that goes in a, it's in a coffee bean. Mm-hmm. So it's cherry goes around it, and uh, you know, a great partnership with Novo, so we brew our coffee beers with. And so we decided we'd make a wheat wine out of that, and we really had no idea what that was yeah. going to turn out to be. And that was, you know, so those are always interesting experiences. It was just you know, you know. Awesome. <laughs> so how many taps do you have at all time in your actual tap room? Twelve taps. Yep. Twelve taps. We had eight for a while, and we just added four more. Um, now that we have uh, two facilities, we still have some fifteen barrel tanks at Ninth Avenue, mm-hmm. and so we can do small batches of fun stuff. So we, you'll see a lot of rotation in those 
I think five of them are always the same, and then seven of them are just constantly rotating. And once we get the new brew house, we're going to keep that 15-barrel system for that reason, just to do taproom. That kind of goes back to your previous question, too, of developing recipes. I mean, that's really what that taproom's for. We can brew, we can kind of be inspired by an idea, try it out on the 50-barrel system, run it through a taproom. And if something makes it to be a regular seasonal, like a planned seasonal, it comes back a couple years, or makes it the package, it's certainly been tweaked a lot of times. Yeah. Play around with that recipe a lot at that point. Nice. So tell me a little bit more about your tap room. Do you guys have food there? Food trucks? Food trucks uh, almost every day of the week. I think Sundays sometimes, depending, it's football season right now. Sure. We don't have TVs. So if you don't want to watch the football game but still want to go out to a bar, we're the bar you want to go to. Nobody's going to yell in your ear. Nobody's going to throw their hands up in the air. It's very chill, very calm. Uh, but a lot of people like to watch yeah, football. Sure. So, you know, and I, and I think that's what we're talking about. One thing that that Brian O'Connell, the founder, said is, you know, what attracted him to beer, and I think this is true for a lot of people, is it's an oasis away from the outside world. Sure. You know, and that's the way we look at our tap room. We always want our tap room to remain stable, mm-hmm. and, you know, we don't want to throw up a bunch of decorations for the holidays or do things for football. You know, we want it to be a stable place that people can always get away from everything, go back to that familiar place, and just have a beer with a friend, and kind of get away from the outside world. That's yeah. really, that's the most important thing for us to have at our tap room, is for people to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so regularly we have food trucks. Um, we'll do events and stuff. We actually, uh, next Thursday, November 12th, we're doing an event with uh, Jensen Cummings. He's a chef Cicerone that does, uh, he creates food out of the ingredients of beer. So we sent him some spent grain, we sent him some unfermented wort, some yeast, and he's creating a dish that revolves around our winter seasonal hammer and sickle. So we do a lot of special events in our tap room like that. That's awesome. So with the expansion of your brewery, does that mean that the tap room gets expanded as well? Are you guys pretty happy with the size of the tap room? We added the patio this mm-hmm. summer, which actually increased our space a lot when it's nice out. And uh, are we planning on expanding that tap room? This you time? know, that's that's something that we'll kind of see. I mean, we, we'll keep that 15-barrel brew system in the back. I think there, down the road there might be some development of that back space so it can act as both a brewery and an overflow space. Uh, but I don't think, you know, our number one priority is getting the new system on the line, getting all of our storage and uh, everything else figured out on this side of things, and then the tap room will follow. So does the Renegade tap room, do you guys cater to families or pets at all? We are dog friendly, if your dog's friendly. <laughs> Excellent. So how can I Love Colorado Beer and our listeners help you guys kind of achieve your vision? You know, really just... just buy our beer, you know, when you're at the liquor store, like, I mean, this is, this is a very, the best, what I always tell people when I'm selling beer is, you know, you can't tell somebody this beer isn't good, this beer is good, you know, it's completely up to an individual's taste what they want to drink, but what I do tell people is, if you drink this beer over these beers, you're supporting local business, keeping that money right here, you're creating jobs, you know, and you really are, I mean, look at the growth of our company over four years, we went from basically Brian, Laura, and I, to how many employees do we have now? Well, I just sent an invitation for our, our holiday party with, like, volunteers, part-time staff, full-time staff. There are 25 people on the list. Yeah, you know, that's that's not right. Not only are we employing people, you know, but we, we have, you know, we rely on interns and sales. Like, you know, our candy line was, was actually a volunteer for a while. Now, we, now we're able to pay them, you know. So we, one thing that I can say about Brian is he really wants to take care of his employees. I mean, we want to create good beer. We want to, you know, really embrace beer culture. But Brian's number one objective is to create quality jobs for people. He's... You know, he's a guy, he was a statistician before, he kind of got bored of his job, was really passionate about beer, he decided to leave his very well-paying job to create a brewery, 
and that was because he wanted to create a job that he liked, and he wanted to create a job he liked for other people, you know, so mm-hmm. when you're going to the liquor store, and you're buying our beer, or you're going to the bar, and you buy our beer, and you're supporting a company that is dedicated to creating quality jobs right here in our community, and we are very community-driven, too, I mean, we participate a lot in the Santa Fe Arts District here, we don't, that's, that's the most important thing about a brewery, is to be that, you know, community anchor, I think, and that's, that's really why, you know, it seems simple. It seems like a simple thing. You buy yeah. a delicious beer and you drink it and you, you help the Denver community. Very yeah. cool. Well, thank you. Um, I want to touch base on something that we talked a little, or I spoke a little bit earlier about, and that is your canning facility and this, um, this location that we're at right now. You guys give tours every week? Is sure do. Basis? Not every week. It's every second and fourth Saturday of the month, okay. so you can look at any calendar and yeah. Figure out also social wants. media. It's a great way uh, we're doing. But I, I actually personally got into the beer industry. I got interested in it by going on brewery tours. I'm from Wisconsin. I was a college student. I wanted to hang out and drink beer with my friends, but we didn't have any money. Hmm. Uh, and it was a really inexpensive way to, to hang out with our friends, learn about a local product, and and hang out for a few beers. And so I wanted to create that kind of feel for our tours. So for five dollars, you get a pint glass two beers, and you also can get a discount on cans. It's the only place that will we'll discount our cans. So we have a, you know, it's real, we have a ping pong table we set up, our staff kind mm-hmm. of just hanging out, you know, you come hang out with our staff, they'll walk you around, you can play ping pong all you want for free, just honestly, I think that's very attractive. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's just a, a fun, very inexpensive, uh, super local thing to do, so we hope that, uh, People come and enjoy it. So where can we find out more information about this? Uh, our website has all the info you'll need. Renegadebrewing.com. Yeah. And, you know, and I really think these are the good days of that, too. Like, I think you know, years from now, the brewery's continuing to grow. But right now, you get to come in and literally just hang out with our staff yeah. and have beers with them. It's... You can say, I remember when. Absolutely. <laughs> but you gotta, you got to be here to do it. Well, on that note, I appreciate it. Um, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to discuss that you haven't brought up? think so. Yeah, so one one question on your sheet here I think is an interesting question. Uh, tell me about a beer that has surprised you as far as sales flavor difficulty. Now, this beer was originally released when I was a, a customer. Actually, the first time I walked into Renegade, I was with a friend. We got some tasters, and I actually got the other recipe. So one Halloween, or after Halloween... Brian went out and bought a bunch of discount candy and decided to brew beer with it. Oh, wow. He did one batch of a milk stout with peanut butter cups and one batch with peppermint patty. I had the peppermint patty. But Keith was working the tavern at the time. You can tell him yeah, so, what happened So depravity, just like Laura was saying, this was, uh, you know, so originally depravity was called Black Gold. And this is just a, so it's a milk stout base. We put a bunch of peanut butter cups in there. And really it was just made, you know, so we used to brew on Brian's old pilot system, which is what, like, made 10 gallons at a time. Yeah, it was 10 gallons. You know, so that was this old homebrew system. We'd use as a pilot system. So we used to do a small batch of it, and people went crazy over it. It was crazy how fast the word I mean, I, I was working in a tap room. Like I said, we only had 10 gallons totally made of this beer. And people were calling on the phone, asking for growlers, getting angry that they couldn't get growlers. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to explain to them. We have, like, 20 growlers worth now, of this beer. <laughs> Renegade had been open for three or four months at this time. Brand new, and nobody knew about them. Yeah. You know, so that we've we've adapted, adapted that to be our winter. So we do that every January now, right? We release it in New Year's. 
And the crazy thing about that beer, though, is we still do it the exact same way we did it when it was a pilot system. So oh, we make a lot more of it, but we still individually unwrap peanut butter cups. Do oh, wow. Miniatures. Miniatures. It's the only way you can buy them in bulk. They yeah. have to be the tiny foil ones. Oh, my God. Brian, we don't want to... <laughs> Brian's afraid to change it because you can buy the ones that are like all broken up just the pieces and uh-huh. all, but he's afraid it's going to mess up the chocolate to peanut butter ratio wow. do it. so we literally yeah. have a brewer for an entire day all he does is unwraps peanut butter cups to make this beer yeah. so it is you by think far it the sounds most, like a lot more fun than it actually yeah. is <laughs> people ask if I run a package that beer and the answer is like no it's the most labor intensive beer we make <laughs> but it is delicious I mean we have you know we have a line out the door we release that now and you can get growlers of it now I was just yeah, we exactly. do sell growlers, do growlers. growlers we do make enough of it in the tap room actually for, for this year we're doing a, a little bit of a special you can you can pre-purchase or pre-order your growlers so you can get a little gift bag with some depravity glasses and a growler and you'll you'll be able to fill up your growler before anybody else can Excellent. the day it's released and you also are guaranteed a growler as long as you redeem it within the first two weeks Cool. Uh, it doesn't last much longer than two weeks. Yeah. So by January 14, if you haven't gotten it, uh, get, get in as fast as you can or call up one of your friends because uh, it's, it goes quick. So growlers are definitely the way to get it now. Uh, it's it's the only way you can take it home with you. Otherwise, you have to just drink it on tap. It's, yeah, and that's in both of our tap. It's in our tap room and it's in accounts around Denver. So keep you an eye out. You see an account that has depravity on it. I mean, <laughs> they treat us well. <laughs> it's a high demand beer. It's pretty tasty. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. So, are you familiar with our lightning round questions? No. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds like fun. So, we have a list of questions, and what we're doing is you guys are actually competing against other breweries. Um, you try to answer these questions as fast as you possibly can. You guys can both jump in with the answer. As soon as I hear an answer, I'll move on. I'll give you time at the very end to kind of go back and and explain anything if you need some explanation, but as fast as you possibly can um, answer these questions. And at the end of the year, we find the fastest time and we will give you guys some sort of prize. All right. Let's do it. Good luck. Have you seen these questions before? No. Nope. Awesome. All right. I need, I need you to be fast. You need me to be fast. Yeah. Oh, like, boy. Let's, let's work on our speed here. It's a, it's a group effort. Don't, don't bring me down. <laughs> If I stumble, I'm usually pretty generous with giving back time. So All right. It's, my, it's good to hear. It's, it's, I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> I got my clock right here. We got the stopwatch. What was the most difficult beer you've ever made in life? Depravity. It takes forever. Prefer cans or bottles? Cans. cans. Ales or lagers? Ales. Me ales, yeah. Favorite beer in the world? Uh, beer de la Mite. It's a collaboration with Green Flash and uh, Belgian Brewery. I can't remember. Best brewery in the world. You know, I respect Adele a lot. Yeah. Adele. Best brewer in the world. Uh, Matt Brenaldson. What's more fun, home brewing or commercial brewing? Commercial brewing. How frequently do you guys have to kick someone out because they're too drunk? Hardly, Hardly ever. In a brewery, what is the heart, what is the mind, and what is the soul of beer? Uh, the heart is passion, the mind is science, and the soul is creativity. What's worse, a skunk or skunky beer? <laughs> a skunky skunk. beer. A skunky beer, yeah. If you drink Miller, are you actually living the highlight? <laughs> no. Excellent. 54 seconds. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much.